everyone, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 81 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about The Godfather Part 2 on your I Know It Was You podcast. I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. And before we get started, we just wanted to remind everybody that we absolutely love getting feedback from all of you in whatever format that is. So we are very active on Twitter. Uh, We also have a Facebook page and an Instagram page and email, um, and you can access all of those basically at Eloquent Gushing. So Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are all at (laughs) Eloquent Gushing. Yep. And we also have this really cool thing where you can leave us voice feedback, which we love to hear you guys. Um, And you can do that at speakpipe.com slash eloquent gushing. You don't have to download anything. You just have to have, you know, a mic or even an internal mic and you just click, you know, click the button and it'll let you record a quick message to us. Um, So we would really, really love to have some of you guys send us some voice feedback or, you know, just keep talking to us on Twitter. Yeah, we are available in many, many places. And, and like Maddie says, it is great to hear from people and hear different views. Um, we've got some films coming up that I think will uh, spark some discussion that people have strong feelings about. So it's really good to hear not not the obvious conversations that we tend to have, but your deep insights. And particularly if it's a film you love or you hate or you have thoughts on, send them over. Absolutely. I think engaging with our listeners is my very favorite part of podcasting. So lots of feedback, you guys. My favorite part's talking to you. Aww. <laughs> but no, the listeners, yeah, yeah, they're better than me. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's get started. Okay, Godfather Part 2. So we've covered a few sequels in the past. There was a conversation that particularly is had in film magazines, film schools about sequels. Are sequels always necessary? Are sequels generally never as good as the first in the in the series and the godfather part two is often held up i think i said this when we when we covered the godfather it's held up as at least as good as the first part if not better um i I think that's a conversation we can have in this episode absolutely let's have a quick conversation about sequels in general we we've covered a few we did uh the dark knight and we've done deadpool 2 uh die hard 2 die hard 3 Others, I'm looking through the list that I now can't see. I'm sure we've done some more. Ghost, Ghostbusters 2, classic, classic sequel. Mandy, what are your thoughts on sequels? Do you think sequels are not necessarily a bad thing? Are there any sequels you think are better or at least as good as the original? Oh, I love sequels because I, if it's a movie that I really enjoyed, then I want to spend more time in that universe and a sequel lets me do that. Right. And sometimes, yes, the sequels are better than the original. I, I the the one that comes to mind immediately for me is Terminator 2. Um I have rewatched right. Terminator 2 dozens of times and I've probably only seen the first one maybe twice. Okay. So so that's the one that just instantly springs to mind and then um I started, you know, trying to have a think about this because I know that there are more and I started looking up lists of sequels that are better than the original and Across the board, every single sequel list was pretty much the same, and unfortunately, they were all movies that I really haven't seen or I disagree with, so I kind of had to come up with my own list, Um, and and somebody's going to fight me on this one, um, because I think Grease 2 is better than Grease. Interesting. Partly, probably, because I saw... No, I... I I did see Grease 2 first, but Mm -hmm. it... Yeah, it's just... It's better. You know, if you want to at me on Twitter and we can talk about it, that's fine. But fight me. I, I think Grease 2, definitely the messaging is better. Yeah. 
the messages of how to get your man in Greece 1 are really not very good. <laughs> Greece 2, at least she makes some positive decisions. Yeah. Um, I think people are also going to fight me on this next one because I think Iron Man 3 was better than 1 or 2. Ooh, I mean, I liked okay. all three of them. They're okay. all really good, but Iron Man 3. Mm. Um, same with Pirates of the Caribbean. I think the third one was the best. I, I did just... Dis- mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You know, we, we're allowed to disagree on this. I mean, that's a sliding scale between 1 and 5 out of 10, but... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I did... You know, I gave it... A really hard think and I I came out deciding that Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was better than Raiders because yeah. I hated yes. Raiders and I just was moderately annoyed at Last Crusade so you know <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I decided Winter Soldier and Civil War were both better than the first Captain America and and then I was curious does Logan count as a sequel? I mean they do but I I find it a little hard to apply to comic books because they're not necessarily sequels. They are another story in this universe. Yeah. A universe that has so much content from the comic books already. Okay. Logan is less a, a follow-up to the original idea of Wolverine and, and Wolverine 2 and more an adaptation of a different story but with the same character. Right. That's why I wasn't sure Logan would count. I, I, I felt better about like Iron Man 3 and you know Captain America 2 because those... Granted, they do continue the larger story of the MCU, but because they focus specifically on a single character and they are continuing the story of that singular character, mm. they they felt more like sequels than just another story. Yeah. I, th- I think Civil War is also in that camp of it's not necessarily a Captain America sequel. It's Marvel adapting that story because they know they only have a limited number of films to do it in. Right. Before they hit Infinity War and reset yeah. everything. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and all, gosh, all of the lists that I looked at had the Dark Knight as one. Right. Um, yeah. And I just, I'm on the fence on that one because I really like both movies for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, Empire Strikes Back showed up on all of these lists. Okay. Um, Godfather two, Part 2 obviously showed up on all of them. It mm. was, people think... The same movies are always better. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey showed up on several of them, but I can't. I was about to say that's number it. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to when we do that one, but it's I haven't seen it yet. So. Yeah, that's my example of a film that's better. Okay. <laughs> the, the better sequel. Yeah, uh, we had uh, some folks on Twitter okay. chime in. I know Jan said Hellboy two. Okay. Which I haven't seen yeah. Hellboy. It's on the yeah. list. A little bit like Godfather 1 and 2, you could go either way. They are both very good quality films. Yeah. Uh, Toy Story 2 also showed up frequently, which I did not finish. That is fair. I I do like that one. Okay. All right. Do you have any others besides Bill and Ted? And Terminator 2? I really should have looked at my list, shouldn't I? Uh, (laughs) My my DVD shelf. Um, Nothing has jumped into mind over there, but Bill and Ted would have been an obvious one. Die Hard with a Vengeance, another very obvious one. Hmm. I'm, I'm having a look again at our list. And yeah, we've not done a huge number of sequels. Mm-hmm. Superman 2 might be. Superman 2 is quite strong in some places, except they have that change of direct halfway through and it suddenly becomes a comedy. Oh, but, okay. Know. Yeah, that one showed up on a lot of lists too, but I haven't mm. seen that one yet. So Yeah, so I think in general, sequels can be a very positive thing. Yeah. Do you think there's something that makes a good sequel? What What do you look for if there's a second in the series coming out? 
I want to see character growth, and I don't want to see any of the characters broken or the universe broken. Like, it needs to be consistent, and it needs to continue. If not the the story from the original one, it needs to at least continue the universe in a way that makes sense. Okay. That's generally what I'm looking for. Okay. And I think, as in when we come to The Godfather Part 3, there's an interesting discussion about third in a trilogy whether it should be wrapping up a complete arc, whether it should be another chance to play in this pit, things like that. Okay. Because thirds in a trilogy uh, are a different matter than just a plain sequel. Generally, yes. Um, mm. Which is why this is an interesting example, because Godfather Part Two came out only two years later to, as we'll hear, you know, mixed reviews, but it's generally considered one of the great films. And then The Godfather Part Three comes out 20 years later to very mixed reviews. Oh, wow. I didn't realize so it was that long. Mm. Huh. Okay. okay. Interesting. So, uh, The Godfather Part Two was released in 1974. It's a follow-up to the 1972 original and serves as both sequel and prequel. Al Pacino returns as Michael Corleone, with Robert De Niro being cast as a young Vito Corleone, who was originally portrayed in his final years by Marlon Brando. The film received mixed reviews on original release. It was then nominated for 11 Academy Awards and won six of them, which includes Best Director, Best Picture and Best Supporting Actor for De Niro, which makes him and Brando one of the only actors to... No, in fact, I think they are the only actors to win the Academy Award for playing the same fictional character. I think maybe, I won't say Kate Blanchett and uh, Dame Judi Dench won for Queen Elizabeth. Hmm. Maybe even in the same year. Okay. I, I kept seeing references to uh, De Niro and Brandon Brando mm. uh, being the only two, and it's possible those just hadn't been updated, but I didn't see anything I, I, about the others. I think they're using actor as the thing as opposed to actress, which oh. is a conversation unto itself. Okay. <laughs> Male actors. There we go. Okay. Uh, it was the first sequel to win the award for Best Picture and is the first Hollywood movie to use a number to denote its position in the series. The British film Quatermass 2 was the first time that it had been done on any commercially released film. Interesting. Which surprised me. Like, 1974, that's when we start numbering sequels. When did Jaws 2 come out? 78. Okay. Huh. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. But up until that, it had always been... Obviously, this is after this, but The Empire Strikes Back. And, and the ones that come to mind are things like The Magnificent Seven Ride Again, or Herbie Rides Again, or oh, yeah, okay. A Fistful of Dollars to follow up. Um, oh, no, sorry, A Few Dollars More to follow up A Fistful of Dollars, things like that. Right. Okay. Mm. Over time, opinion of The Godfather Part Two has shifted to be overwhelmingly positive. It is considered alongside the original Godfather as one of the greatest movies ever made, and is often cited as a sequel on par or better than the earlier movie. You know, I read that this movie almost didn't get made, which I find mm -hmm. fascinating considering how how many times it shows up at the top of list where the sequel is better than the original. But apparently Francis Ford Coppola, Coppola, I can never say it right. Coppola. Coppola. Um, he was just really tired after he'd finished The Godfather and he kind of felt like that the story had been wrapped up. Like he had done a complete story in The Godfather. Mm -hmm. So he, he didn't really feel like making a sequel but then he decided that it would be interesting to make a film with two stories in parallel um mm. about a man and his father who are the same age ish so yeah, yeah. and it's even more interesting because another film would have done the parallel rises 
of the father and son, but this is the rise of the father and the fall of the son. It's right. Yeah, it's a really interesting comparison. Yeah. And I also thought it was worth noting uh, when we did the first Godfather, we mentioned that Al Pacino had only been paid $35,000 to play Michael Corleone. Mm -hmm. But in this one, he was paid $600,000. So clearly the studios saw his potential. (laughs) Yeah. And he still didn't win the Oscar. (laughs) Arguably his best performance ever and he still doesn't win. Yeah, that's... (laughs) There, there was also a note that um, James Kahn, who has that very brief scene as Sonny, mm-hmm. was paid the same salary as he was paid for all of The Godfather. Yes, he was. But again, that was like $60,000, so. Oh, yeah. You know, I didn't think to look to see what that was. Mm. Interesting. Okay. L- like the first one, there is a huge amount of trivia, a huge amount of interesting stuff, but I think we've learned podcasting a bit better since that early episode where I just sat here spilling off interesting <laughs> facts for ages. There's loads of facts there, guys. Go and read them. They're yeah. really interesting, but I'm not going to put it in your ears. Don't worry. All right. <laughs> well, if you are listening to this and you have not actually seen The Godfather Part 2... Um, In the second part of the trilogy, Michael works to control his temper and his family, and flashbacks show us how Vito became the man he was. And I just, I wanted to point out that everybody thinks these are gangster flicks. And even I thought that. That's why I never watched them. But in reality, they're family movies, which I think is Mm. weird, but it's what it is, and it works. Yeah, I I think we might have said this last time, but because it's about the head of the family... It's less about that going around beating people up and killing people and more about the decisions and the how you keep everyone together. Right. Whereas a film like uh, Goodfellas is about the guys on the street and keeping their bits of power and kowtowing to the boss. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You've not seen Goodfellas, have you? I've not. No, because it's a, a gangster guy movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think we did put it on the list after we talked about the first Godfather, right. though um how were you able to watch this well it is available to rent on amazon but when we did the first one i bought the whole trilogy on dvd so cool nice uh i own the blu-ray collection and i think i said last time i still own the dvd collection from my granddad but it's also available on sky cinema so i was able to watch it on that rather than having to you know physical media yeah i well i actually ended up streaming it um and it turns out that even when you have subtitles for something and you've told the thing that you're streaming it on to show the subtitles. If you're watching on Roku and you haven't told Roku to allow closed captioning, it will not show you subtitles. Roku! Yes! It took me like 45 <laughs> minutes to figure this out. Like, I was Googling, like, why can't I see the subtitles? I know they're there. Where are they? <sighs> so, pro tip, if you have a Roku and you need to see subtitles, make sure your Roku settings are set to show them as well as whatever app you're watching it in. Mm. Mm. Okay. Do you want to remind us of your feelings on The Godfather after the last, uh, after you saw that one last year? Oh, I loved the first one. I was mm. shocked at how much I loved it. I think. Nice. I even think that was one of the ones that when we did our recap for the year, that was one of my favorite ones that we did last year. Okay. Um, just because it was so surprising. And Michael Corleone was the inspiration of my list of really terrible human beings that I love. <laughs> so, uh, did you have very high expectations for this one? <sighs> Honestly, no, okay. um, because I was coming to it thinking this is a sequel and everybody else loves it so very much that I can't possibly love it that much since I loved the first one that much. 
And and so I think that helped to temper my expectations a little bit. Right. Okay. So did you enjoy it? I did. Okay. Uh, it was all right. It was there. Past the time. Kind <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's do that sequel conversation. How does this compare to The Godfather Part 1? I don't think this one was better. I think it was okay. almost as good. I mm-hmm. think... The first one was more engaging to me. The story was more engaging. Watching the character of Michael change Mm -hmm. from the idealistic. Oh, how did I word it? I worded it a specific way. Hang on. Oh, well, he was he was young and idealistic. And then he grew to become the head of the family. And Mm -hmm. he had to undergo a significant character change to do that. And watching that character change was fascinating. In the second one, by and large, the character of Michael is the same throughout the whole movie. By the end, he's a little bit more cold and hard, but he's he's still Don Corleone. You know, okay. he, he hasn't had this huge growth thing. I can argue that we got some of that in Vito's storyline, but we kind of really didn't. I mean, yeah, he started as an almost nonverbal nine-year-old from Corleone and turned into Vito, but they don't really tell Mm -hmm. us how. It's just like, here, let me show you this nine-year-old, and now we're going to show him 17 years later when he's married and he's starting to be smart. Okay. So for me, it it just – it fell slightly flat, even though the performances were spectacular. Hmm. Okay. I think my one reaction to that is that I – Actually, I agree that Michael's arc, Michael's story in this is not about character growth or change, but I think it's kind of a parable of the dangers of power. You know, he is trying to cling on to his power and maintain his uh, family's position and even grow and make more money and be more powerful. And through that all, he is making decisions that are damaging everything his father built. The sort of family idea, the being good to people, the... Uh, you know, having a positive force whilst wielding that power. Right. Which which I think was one of your favourite things from that first one was the sort of moral compass about that is not justice, that's you just having revenge or uh, right. uh, the thing about Sonny and sleeping with other women and so on. Mm-hmm. And they are very starkly contrasted that all the way through Michael is, he wants to have this same thing that his father had but he can't have it because Kay is a different woman from his mother right. and acts differently. And Fredo makes other decisions because he is kept on the periphery. And he's he's trying harder and harder to hold it. And the more he squeezes his grip, the more planets fall through his fingers. Right. <laughs> to quote Princess Leia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that that is absolutely true. I, I think... Um... But since what I come to sequels for is looking for growth and to see Mm, things continually change, um, when I didn't get that in this movie, I guess it just changed my perspective a little bit. I mean, I don't think it's a bad movie at all. I did enjoy watching it. Uh, I just enjoyed the experience of watching the first one more. Yeah, that word enjoy, that's probably the important bit, isn't it? Because the the first one you can enjoy it is a good story and although he's a bit of an anti-hero you can see him take power and make decisions and he triumphs in the end Mm -hmm. this one you get to the end of it and you're like oh that's a magnificent story with amazing performances and great plotting oh it's so clever not sure i enjoyed it yeah it's very (laughs) dark yeah (laughs) 
So that that two timeline structure, that's it's really important to it. I think whilst you could tell the two stories separately, if you just had Michael, it would be a big downer. And if you just had Vito, you'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah, okay, he got power. Good on him. <laughs> Seeing them contrasted, you're like, okay, th- there is an interesting contrast going on here. How did it work for you? Do you think you get anything from it? I liked it, and I did like that contrast, but I ended up feeling like parts were missing that were needed from both timelines. Okay. But at the yeah, same time, if, the if they were in there, years, yeah. yeah, if they were in there, the movie would have been even longer. <laughs> 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 and so I don't see how they could have done it, but um, I think one of my thoughts in my thought stock was I feel like this movie puts a lot of faith in the audience, and some of this is just going over my head. Okay. And I... <sighs> That, that's the thing. I think there were things that I needed to see or things I just don't understand well enough to know why certain decisions were made and, and why certain things happened. Mm-hmm. And and so that was slightly frustrating, but I did enjoy the contrast and I liked watching the story of Vito's power growing versus Michael struggling to maintain and failing. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that the 17-year gap He's still not a totally different person. He's nice, he gets on with people, and he supports everyone around him. And it's only the the sort of actions and pressure of Don Fanucci that make him strike out and go, actually, I'm prepared to pull the trigger. I'm prepared to do these acts. So the, the, the thing about the missing 17 years, it's just his life just continues, but it is the, the situations he finds himself in mm-hmm. that then cause him to go, well, everyone else is is bowing down to Don Fanucci. I don't think that's right. I'm going to do something about it. And then the the demonstration of power, which is why Don Fanucci, when he comes to see him with only the $100, Don Fanucci, I think, realizes like, oh, this is someone I can't bully. I'm going to try to get him on side. And he does the, I'll find you a job and taps his right. cheek and stuff. It's like, oh, when you stand up to the bully, it usually goes pretty well, according to fiction. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess what the movie didn't show me and what I don't understand is how he got to the point where he immediately went to murder. Because they don't really give us an explanation for that. The Vito that we're introduced to, even the adult Vito, when when you're watching him, he's so distraught that Fredo has pneumonia. You know, he is mm. a very loving man. He loves his family. He cares. He cares about his friends. And that man, his instinct is to go first to murder to solve this problem. And I don't understand why. I feel like the movie didn't tell me why. And that almost felt like a character break to me, even though it's okay. not because I I met grown up Vito first. And so I'm like, OK, yeah, he murdered him. But they just didn't really show me why or how he got there. It was just, yep, this is we know this is who he became. So we're just going to make him that now. Yeah. Again, I'm not sure I disagree with you. I can just follow it of. He sees this person, I think the conversation earlier of why does he prey on other Sicilians? He just sees it as this person is a bad influence, bad thing on this world, and I'm going to be the one to take him out. And I, do, I think the, the power he gets from that and the respect he gets from that is sort of secondary to everything else, to, to the, the act itself. Right. Well, and then um, really the next time we see him is after that is when he's dealing with the widow's landlord. Hmm. And... Once the landlord, clearly his reputation hasn't gotten so big that the landlord just automatically knows who he is. 
But as soon as the landlord starts asking about him, he comes back absolutely terrified of him. <laughs> yeah, right. The and, great bit with the door that doesn't open. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, it was funny, but at the same time, I'm thinking, why? What else has he done to gain this kind of reputation? Does everybody know that he killed Don Finucci? And is that enough for him to have this level of respect and loyalty? I don't know. Maybe that's a part yeah. of the mafia I just don't understand. <laughs> I don't know how to crime, so maybe I just am wrong. <laughs> but Yeah, because by that point, they're running the smuggling business. So he's obviously making a lot of money. And presumably he is doing the same sort of strong arming to other people. So whether it is killing people when they're in his way or whether it is having you know cronies beating them up. Because right. by that point, he is starting to lead everyone. I think it's just implied that uh, he has that moral compass that we know about, but he isn't afraid to to flex muscles as it were yeah that's that's how i read it anyway yeah, yeah yeah i just i wanted to see that evolution a little bit more because that evolution is what's interesting to me mm. you're right if we'd seen that it would have filled in the gaps but it would have added a lot more to the film yeah and i think this is a film that, that certainly for its runtime could serve to lose some content i just i'm never totally sure what i've got a couple of thoughts but i'm not sure what I think I read somewhere, too, that there is a version of this movie that is an hour longer. Mm. Um, I think it's not available anywhere. Like, it's not on any of the DVD copies or anything, but it did air on yeah, television like that edition. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I cannot imagine. You know, maybe in that version, we do get to see some of these things. Yeah. Um, but I just I can't imagine. Like, by the end of this one, I was thinking, why isn't it over yet? Like, I feel like I've been sitting here for five hours just because, but especially by the end, it's just so dark and depressing mm-hmm. that it's just hard to watch. And so yeah. adding even more to it, I think, would have been the wrong call. So mm. I, I think the bits I'd probably lose are the Senate hearings and maybe a lot of the stuff with Frank. I think although it's really clever and it shows the duplicitous nature of Michael and, and how he's plotting against everyone. I don't think it serves enough intellectual purpose to warrant the sort of half hour or so of the film it adds. Mm-hmm. Well, the Senate hearings are the part that confused me the most. Okay. Because unless I missed something, they came out of nowhere. Did I miss something? Because we went from, they were in Cuba and Michael realized that Fredo is the one who betrayed him because all of a sudden Fredo is talking about how Johnny Ola showed him everything, even though he had just said he didn't know Johnny Ola. So Michael figures it out. Hmm. They, um, he goes home and Tom tells him that Kay had the miscarriage. And then we cut to Vito and Vito kills Finucci. And then we jump to the Senate hearings and they never really explain why we're having Senate hearings. Like, what caused the this investigation to happen? Like, why is this a thing? Like, and I feel like that's important for somebody as powerful as Michael. I feel like it's really important to know what happened that made him this prime suspect where there's enough evidence that they actually brought him in for a Senate hearing. So I think this is them trying to weave in some historical elements because there were... Um, I think Senate hearings about organized crime. I can't remember what the phrase they used for it was, but there, there was something that where they did do this, 
So this is them sort of doing, okay, if those hearings were happening in a world where the Corleone family was a thing, what would it look like? How would it work? But unless you... I think unless you know that and accept that that's what they're doing, yes, it it is absolutely like, oh, suddenly we've got dudes asking questions and it's all going to fall apart on him. Right. Like you say, very much it comes out of nowhere. Um, and then the, the, in some ways the real big reason for it is so that they can make Michael show his power by bringing over Frank's brother, which mm-hmm. then prompts Kay to have her outburst and then prompts them to make Frank kill himself later on, mm-hmm. which shows the ruthlessness of the family. But by that point, I'm not sure we need to see anything more about how the Corleone family are a quite dark, dark family. Right. <laughs> That's That, for me, is the bit I'd take out. But okay. yeah. I also can kind of see what it's adding and doing to it. Okay. Half an hour of the film is what it's doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it was it was a confusing half hour. So, But I also think that most of the proceedings between Michael and Hyman Roth were confusing, too. Like, I could not figure out really who was betraying who during mm. that whole scene because he Michael was telling one person it was Hyman he was telling somebody else it was Frank and then he was telling mm. somebody else it was like both of them and like I never actually figured out what was happening <laughs> and the way he acts when he goes to Frank really does make it seem like he thinks it's Frank although he is saying it's Hyman Roth because he, we've already heard him saying it was Frank right that's where your head is so it's only at the end when you start to see all the pieces come together and what he was doing. You go, okay, I can see what's all coming in now. But in the movements through the film, it's trying to pull the wool over your eyes several times in sequence. Yes. Hmm. Okay. There are some great performances in this film. It is renowned for it because it had so many people nominated for different Oscars. I think four of the men were nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Um, okay who do you think did it best is it between Pacino and De Niro or is there anyone else who stood out for you oh no I think it's definitely a tie between De Niro and Pacino they were both absolutely spectacular Um, and then I read that De Niro like went super super method for this he actually went and lived in Sicily for four months um, and he only spoke Sicilian for the entirety of his visit so that he could properly learn it and I think that's fantastic and um, he just, like, everything down, he got the voice down. Like, I mean, it, it's hard to step into a role like this whenever you've already had somebody like Marlon Brando do it so well. And you have to show the same character, only younger. Right. And he nailed it. He got the mannerisms down. He got the voice down, the facial expressions. Like, mm. everything that he did was spectacular. Especially as as you see him getting older, when he returns to Sicily. Mm-hmm. And, and he started doing more of the mouth jaw work mm-hmm. and he's going a bit grayer. And you're like, oh, I can actually see what they're doing with it now. Yeah. It, n- not as much as they were doing with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis and Looper. <laughs> right. But you can kind of see what they're, they're pitching at for Absolutely. 1974. It's pretty good. I think if I have to pick one, I would say De Niro had the better performance. But okay. I'm just so, so partial to Al Pacino in this movie and what he did, like... God, he's scary. He's scary yeah. when he's silent. He's scary when he yells. Like, his facial expressions, like, you can just tell he wants to murder people. Like, <laughs> he is so angry. And he just, he pulls it off so well. And and so I think after the first Godfather, I have such a soft spot for Michael, even though he's a really <laughs> terrible human being, <laughs> that um, I want to say it's a tie. But I think, in actuality, De Niro deserved that oscar okay 
I think this might be the film that starts off Al Pacino's thing of shouting. Because oh. I think I mentioned it last time. He does it once, maybe, in the first film. But in this, he does it several times. Mm-hmm. And it becomes an Al Pacino trick in his films. Oh. Well, he's very good at it. He projects he does, he does really well. Um, and actually, following up on the thing about the Senate hearings, we also have this whole sequence in Cuba and dealing with the Cuban Revolution, which, which is very much leaning on the historical events, things that actually happened. And, and so, in theory, you know what's coming, but do you think that knowledge is necessary? Did it mean anything to you as you were watching it? Not really. I, I found myself thinking more about present day than historical just right. based on some of the things that they were saying. And it it was, yeah, I, I, I didn't want to get political in my notes. And so I mostly tried to ignore the whole Cuba section. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, so I, I don't think that, that knowing what was happening in Cuba is, is necessary for understanding or enjoying what's going on. Okay. So the bit where suddenly the rebels do win and the president re- resigns and you go, Oh, Michael was right not to put all his money into this. Or so much money into this. It's a nice revelation, I think, if you don't know it's coming. Right. Because it shows he was right. And, and and there is some tension about whether he should be putting his money in with Hyman Roth or not. I think if you know what's coming, you're going, no, Michael, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. One of the things that stood out to me the most about this movie is that they did try to mirror the first movie a little bit. Mm. Both parts started essentially started with a party. The first one was a wedding. This one was first communion and folks kind of lining up to see the dawn. And I thought that was interesting. Like it didn't, I didn't see it right away, but after probably about 20 minutes, I realized this is how the first one started. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that was interesting because with Michael, it was very different than the way it was with Vito. With Vito, it was people lining up to see him to ask him for things because they know that he can do favors and that he's also good to people. People were seeing Michael because they were in trouble or he was mad at them or, mm. you know, it was it was just a completely different vibe, but they still mirrored each other. And then also uh, both parts – ended with those coordinated death strikes. We had the the five families in the first one that Michael orchestrated. And then in the second one, Michael also orchestrated, you know, Fredo, Frank, and um, Hyman Roth, which was interesting. Although I think the five families was definitely more climactic. Yeah. Engaging. Oh, yeah. Going against the christening scene as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it's just... It's fascinating to me that they did that, and I'm sure it was entirely intentional because it also does show the difference in where the family was versus where the family is. Like, they're Mm. still trying to do the same things, but it's not at the same level anymore. Okay. I like that opening that gives you a comparison because, exactly as you say, it gives you a chance to catch up to, okay, where are we? What's going on with everyone? Give it like that first film did, a bit of exposition about everyone's situation. But also seeing that Michael is not all-powerful. There are people who talk back to him and that he's still striking up deals. It's not like he is his father now. Right. I, I will admit I have a problem with films that do this, are, are too referential to what came before. The, the example I'd give is Star Wars. The fact that every Star Wars film has to 
open on a starship and a planet has to have R2-D2 saving the day. Someone has to say, I have a bad feeling about this. There, there are like five or six things that a Star Wars film has to have to be a Star Wars film. Okay. Um, which is why like the spin-offs are quite good because they don't do that stuff. Okay. Um, so it does hamstring it. It means you have to write certain bits in certain ways. Um, whereas in this, the opening is very nicely done, but then by saying, right, we also want to end on this thing of killing lots of people, it's one of the reasons for having Frank in it, so we can include yet another death and finding a way to kill this person who can't be killed. And I think if they weren't trying to force themselves to be, let's show a climax of him killing people, we would have had a different, perhaps slightly more satisfying ending. Yeah, I think you're right. So I, I like it for the the sort of film comparison thing. But I think that once you start doing that, and the MCU has a little bit of this, that there are certain points you have to hit, that the film becomes almost like a clockwork mechanism. Yeah, yeah. I'd be curious to see if the third film tries to do the same thing. So will I. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen the third one? Yes, of course I've seen the third one. Okay, I was confused for a minute. (laughs) Okay. But I'm not telling you anything. I know, I know. I'm I'm interested in seeing what you react to when you see what it's doing. Okay. Something or other. All right. <laughs> um, the, the next thing that, that stood out to me was the the final conversation between Michael and Kay. Um, mm. When she's trying to leave and he's trying to stop her. And he tells her that he loves her. And she responds with... Michael, you say you love me, and then you talk about allowing me to leave. And I just, I really yeah. liked that because she's standing up for herself in that moment. And yeah. that's not something you would expect for the Don's wife to do. No, you you can see she has been pushed so far that she's doing all these things. And her revelation about having an abortion is an absolute gut punch. Oh, absolutely. Oh. Like, the, the, God, the words that she was saying, she, she called mm. their marriage unholy and evil. Yeah, and that she had to kill his son because she didn't want to bring another one into the world. Like, it was heartbreaking and gut wrenching mm. and horrifying. Yeah, and then that final shot between them of him closing the door on her, which again is mirroring the final shot from the first one of the door being closed as he becomes Don Corleone. Right. But it's him doing it. He and it's another example of him trying to keep power. So I'm going to close her out because that's what we do with Kay. Yeah. I I had a split second moment where I wasn't sure if he was going to shut the door in her face or Mm -hmm. tell Anthony to go kiss his mother. Like, I, I, it could have gone either way for me. It makes much more sense that he did shut the door. Mm. Um, But I was kind of hoping that he would decide I need to raise my son to be respectful of his mother. And so even though I don't love her, he should. But he didn't do that. Uh, Or even just. Hey, I miss you. Why don't you come back? I mean, oh, this no, is not that film. That. This is not that Hollywood <laughs> film. But... No, he would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's played so well that you don't know what's going to happen there. And he just stays silent through the whole thing. It's so. They even have the ambiguity of is she there in secret? Does he know she's there at all? Is this a surprise to him? But there's no hint of what's actually going on. He just shuts her out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cold. Very cold. Mm. there was one funny moment that that i have okay. to point out um in my notes i wrote only a monster eats an orange like that <laughs> yeah what's that in reference to what's that <laughs> so in the 
at the end, um, actually right before the, the scene we were just talking about, he's in his office. I think it's it's right after his mom died. And he is he, he picks up an orange off of his desk and he starts to peel it. But he only peels like the top part of it off. And then he starts biting the flesh of the orange like it's an apple. Okay. Like I actually rewound it to make sure it was an orange and not an apple, but of course it's an orange <laughs> because the oranges are the only fruit that you see in the Godfather movies. Right. But he's eating this orange like it's an apple and he didn't even peel the whole thing and that's just wrong and it was disturbing to me and I did not like it. Okay. <laughs> I thought he was doing it to just get into the flesh so that he could then peel it. Not like eating it like an apple. No, because you see, you okay. see him start to peel it. Okay. And after he peels it, he starts biting it. But right. he didn't peel the whole okay. thing. It, it, yeah, I don't know. It just it bugged <laughs> me. That's all. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to mention was, the Godfather, Part One, spawned so many pop culture references. You know, leave the gun, mm. take the cannoli. You know, just everything. There were there were so many. We had listed them out in the first one. And I don't think there were any like that in this movie. Am I misremembering or did, did I miss something? Or it, is this movie just, while people say it's greater, it just didn't come to mean the same thing in pop culture? I think if you reference some of the big stuff in this, people would know it. But I think you're right that it hasn't become as famous. In some, I mean, there's a couple of lines, things like... Um, we're bigger than U.S. Steel. There's a few bits like that that are you hear referenced in jokey ways sometimes, and the particularly the revelation of Fredo, gripping you know gripping Fredo. I know it was you. You broke my heart. I have seen that done in many a many like Saved by the Bell type spoof situations. Okay, okay. <laughs> but you're right. Many many fewer at the very least, if not just the first one has so many. If you're going to reference the Godfather, you reference that one. Okay. Will you tell me what your favorite moments were of this movie? I, I think I agree with you. Al Pacino just holds... He is wonderful through this. Um, and, and I think because there's so much nuance to what he's doing, the fact that it's um, the opposite of the first film. The first film is him gaining that control and sharpness, whereas this is about him losing it, him losing some respect, him trying to make decisions that should make things better but actually aren't necessarily the right decisions to the end of... I'm not. I, I don't want to kill everyone, just my enemies. And he, at that point, considers his brother one of his enemies. And he kills right. his brother, and instantly you can see he is sorry for this act. It is not a thing he should have done. Mm-hmm. It's so good as a portrayal, the, the way it's written. It's it's really interesting because there's very little like it to, to have such a you know, protagonist from one film to become actually quite evil and dark in the second film. And for us to show that... Again, his decisions, his choices are have a cost to him, are making him less in some way. And then you end up with that final shot where he's got more wrinkles and he's grey and he is utterly alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a terrific portrayal. And it, it is one of the reasons why this doesn't necessarily need a third, because the two parts are the rise and fall of Michael Corleone. Right. And interspersed with, hey, Vito Corleone was really good. Where did it all go wrong? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 
the other one I wanted to mention, which I always quite enjoy, is Clemenza. When Clemenza is like, oh, come and come and see my friend. You know, he's got a rug and he'll give you the rug and that'll be thanks for this off you maybe. Oh, my friend is out. He won't mind if I sneak in. And he's so <laughs> coy and have, oh, there's stuff on the rug. Let's move it. Let's take this rug. And then the policeman turns up and you have that wonderful shot of him to the side of the door holding the gun towards where the policeman is, just waiting for the policeman to come in. Right all over a rug that doesn't even necessarily need to be stolen or anything and Vito Corleone takes it anyway yeah <laughs> like he is not necessarily phased by this it's the way the world works and he gets a rug out of it <laughs> I, I love Clemenza for that it's such a great portrayal yeah yeah it was funny um mm. I was surprised by it but it, it brought a sense of lightheartedness that we didn't get much of throughout the movie Clemenza's whole mm. character did you know he he was so joyful and like the way he talked, it was very like uplilting. And yeah. so it just sounded different than the rest of the mm-hmm. movie. And so it brought something a little bit different, I think. So I, I yeah. enjoyed all of the scenes that he was in. And there was a whole thing that the actor who portrayed Clemenza, the, the bits with Frank were actually written to be uh, Clemenza originally, but then mm-hmm. the actor wouldn't return. I think there was a whole thing of he wanted to write his own dialogue or something. So they ended up saying, no, we're going to rewrite that with someone else, but thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that would have been an interesting comparison about them, how they came together earlier, and then how Michael fell out with him. And uh, actually, there's one thing that's occurred to me that I meant to mention is, of course, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Sicily and went on the Godfather tour. So it was really strange to watch a film and be like, hey, I was at that church like a week oh, ago. Right. <laughs> it was well, really fantastic. strange. I've got photos of me outside that church. And even some of the language, because we had these wonder, we did a couple of tours and we had these wonderful Sicilian guides who talked to us about the difference in the Sicilian dialect and language. And they do have uh, a quite heavy derivation of the language because there's so many different influences on, on the island from Greek and Arab nations to, to the Italians. And so every okay. so often they'd use a word. I'm like, oh, he's just said Amonini. And they told us to say Amonini. How exciting. <laughs> As like a, let's go, Amonini. <laughs> okay all right it was it was one of the most strange experiences watching a film i've never had that sort of situation before right okay <laughs> yeah that it sounds fun and fascinating mm. i i kind of want to go back and watch the first one now because there's even more in those the sicilian places we went to so i went to the bar bar Vitelli from the first one and, and just to see the comparison now i might mm-hmm. have to go back and watch it okay hmm I support that. How about you? Any favorites? Have we covered everything that you enjoyed most about it? I think we've mostly covered everything. I did really enjoy that we did get to see the the Vito story. You mm. know, that that did it, it brought it lifted the movie up a little bit. It wasn't just Michael is destroying his family. <laughs> yeah. Did did you expect any of that? No. I had okay. I really didn't know that was what was going to happen. I just okay. expected it to be more of Michael leading the family. And so it was a nice surprise to see see all of that. Right. Um I also really liked that that final um flashback. Mm. Just because it did it showed so clearly the difference between what the family was and how Michael was yeah. versus now. And I thought that was a really good beat to end on. I mean, of course, right after that, they they did the final shot of of Michael alone outside on the bench. But Mm. um, it was still a a really, what's the word that I'm looking for? Introspective, I Mm. think. Poignant? 
Yes, poignant. Mm-hmm. It was very poignant. Um, it's it's really good to show that he's always made his own decisions, mm-hmm. and they've never quite they've never been necessarily for the family, which is fine. But he's never learned from that. He's never cowed out to anyone. But also, it doesn't necessarily put him in a good position to do that. Right. And I love the characterization of that. You have the the comedy in inverted commas of Connie meeting. Uh, Oh, I can't even remember his name now, but the chap Carlo. who beats her up. Carlo, yeah. Um, which, oh, that's a bit dark. Um, yeah. But you have Fredo congratulating Michael on signing up for the Marines. <laughs> it's like, oh, Fredo, you never got it right, did you? Yeah, no. <laughs> None of them really ever got it right. Yeah. Did Did you see the trivia that Marlon Brando was supposed to be in that scene? Yeah, I wish he had yeah. been, and I wish he hadn't been such a stuck-up old coot. I, I quite like it that he's not because he holds this kind of reverence over everything that's going on they're they're talking about what what he is going to react or how he is going to react to it but we don't actually see it i think it's better for that okay i Mm. i can see that too um it may have actually slightly tainted the opening scene of the first one yeah yeah he's he's more of a mythical character by this point yeah Mm. yeah okay Okay. Anything else you want to discuss on The Godfather Part 2? Seriously, what is left? Like, what story is left to be told in Part 3? I, I That is what I don't understand. It is elusive to me. I it sounds like it. we are going to watch it at some point. Yes. Do you have any thoughts or expectations or theories? Do you want to put down any I mean, I've seen... Now? Well, I mean, you did just tell me that it takes place 20 years in the f- later. So no, I know it's... It was released 20 years later. But, okay, movie magic is not that awesome. And if Al Pacino is 20 years older, they can't undo that. So... Okay. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure it takes place maybe not 20 years in the future, but it has to be okay. at some point in the future. Because okay. Al Pacino looks significantly different by the third mm, one. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I honestly, I don't know. Is it going to be the actual fall of the family? Is Is he going to die? I don't know. Mm, okay. Yeah, we're definitely going to cover that at some point, aren't we? Yeah, we're going to have to because I, I need to know. I need to know. Okay, exciting times. <laughs> All right. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. And you can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Bose. We are 100% funded by our listeners through Patreon. Anything you give gives access to exclusive content, outtakes, behind-the-scenes stuff, um, and it also helps to support the network and develop other shows. If you want to find out more, please visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And if you want to keep up to date with the latest news announcements, remember to subscribe to the weekly newsletter. The link is on our homepage, eloquentgushing.com. We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, please visit eloquentgushing.com.